pleasurable pleasantries, spooky <laughs> listeners. And welcome to another episode of uh, My Spooky Gay Family. I am your resident spooky drag queen, Pissy Miles. And I am your resident spooky drag queen, spooky sister, Sam Baxter. And, and this, this is, is My, my spooky, spooky Gay, gay Family. I'm very excited for today's episode. <laughs> I figured you would be. It is one of my favorite movies of all time. Easily top five. Has been since I was a child. <laughs> this is like the best day ever. <laughs> well, I'm glad that we could make your day better. <laughs> is it one of your favorites? It's definitely up there. I don't know if I would say top five. But really? it's definitely up there. I... This movie was like, this was like my coming of age movie, I think. <laughs> That's because, terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> because it was like, up until this point, I had been very invested in the kind of movies that dad wanted me to be invested in, which was like James Bond and action movies. And I like those movies. I'm, I legitimately do. I like those movies. But... This movie was like, oh my god, there's a whole other world of <laughs> of shit that is so much better than this. <laughs> and it was like, not only was it a musical, but it was a rock musical, and it was a queer rock musical, and it was like fucked up and weird and bizarre. And I just like, I can't say how much love I have for this movie. We should probably tell them what movie it is, you know, in case they haven't guessed already. Do you want the honor? I, I always have the honor of announcing what no, we're talking okay. about. No, it's okay. It's, <laughs> it's in your top five favorite movies. I feel like it should be yours this week. I know, but you never announce it. Okay, fine. It's the Rocky Horror Picture Show. <laughs> I was like, don't let me take all of the joy here. Uh, it is the Rocky Horror Picture Show. And it is just one of the best things that has ever happened. Like, Rocky Horror is just flat out one of the best things that has ever happened to the world. Because it is... <laughs> Certainly one of the strangest. But that's what makes it so good. It's, like, weird and fun and, like, it makes you feel strange. But, like, especially because I've... How old were you when we found this movie? I, I was probably, what, like, 13? Yeah, which means I was, like, 15. Yeah. And this movie for a person that age, especially a queer person, is so like in our generation when it, it wasn't like there was not representation anywhere. There was Will and Grace and Matthew Shepard. And that was it. <laughs> that was like the only queer representation in the world it was, that people talked about was Will and Grace because it was just a hit show. And obviously what happened to Matthew Shepard, that was like the only thing that people talked about and like Ellen DeGeneres, but that had happened like almost 10 years prior. Yeah. And was very much before 
it would mean anything to either of us. So I know. And I mean, this was probably around the same time that we discovered like the birdcage and to Wang Fu and Priscilla and those really great movies. But Rocky Horror is different from all of those in that. <laughs> It's different. It it is, but it's like, it it kind of doesn't shy away from all of the things that those movies shy away from. No, that's fair. The birdcage is kind of, and and don't get me wrong, we've talked about the fact this is my favorite movie of all time. It's a bit heteronormative. It's all the kind of, it's that kind of, that kind of rhetoric we were seeing in the late 80s and early 90s of like, we're just like you. We're we're there's not there's nothing different about us. We're just like you. And even like even the weirdos like like the drag queens and everything, we're supposed to be just like you and it's like but we're not. We're not just like you. <laughs> and <laughs> that's kind of what I love about Rocky Horror is that it was kind of unashamedly weird and it just like it was just like no, I'm going to be weird and you're going to like it. And I love that about this movie. I mean, I do think some of that is the fact that it came out in 1975. Well, yeah, that's a huge (laughs) that's a huge part of it. And it's kind of interesting because I was talking not that long ago about how I tried I was trying to listen to the audiobook of Jaws. Yeah. And that came out in the uh, probably a couple of years earlier, like 73 or 74. Um, And the movie came out in 75. So. This the tagline for this movie was a different set of jaws (laughs) (laughs) with those iconic big red lips, the iconic big red lips that were Patricia Quinn's lips. Um, And it's kind of funny because you see the stark contrast in them in that in Peter Benchley's book, there's some blatant homophobia and racism, whereas in this movie, it's kind of celebratory of queerness and and all of those fun things um and i i just love this movie because it it really just turned the world on its head and just went okay now you deal with it (laughs) (laughs) it really is just a big weird party that's like an hour and a half long it's an hour and a half like fucked up party like the (laughs) most fucked up party you will ever go to um I don't even know where to start. I don't even know where to start. <laughs> this movie is just so good. Like, there's so much to talk about. This is a this is a movie that has, what is it now, 40 years of, of just cult culture. Like, it is, it is just, there's so much to this movie. They're still doing screenings of this. They st- I mean, here in New Jersey, I know that there's a group that has been doing shadow casts for decades. It's called the Home of Happiness. And it used to be based out of Montclair, although I think they left the theater in Montclair. I'm not sure. Um, but I mean, we're talking about costumes and shadow casts and stage productions and toys and, co- and uh, you know, blankets and clothing. And like, this is a movie that by no means should have had the wild popularity that it has. Uh, and it has just gained this, this cult status of this amazing movie. And I love that. I love this movie so much for it. Um, so we decided that since it was pride, we would talk a little bit, a little bit about, um, 
the Rocky Horror Picture Show, its beginnings and its effect on us and kind of what it's going through right now with queer culture and all of that fun stuff. I'm very excited. I can tell. <laughs> I'm surprised you're not more excited. I am excited. I'm I, I am super excited. I am also like in a room that's like 95 degrees <laughs> with no moving air. We should we next week you should film uh downstairs. I no mean, more flowers in the attic. You have to you have to take it to the basement. <laughs> <laughs> um all right. So let's let's jump in. Um how did you come to find the Rocky Horror Picture Show? Honestly, dad. Really? Yeah, no, dad gave it to me. Had you come out at this point? Yes, I had. Hmm. I came out when I was 12. And that was how old I was when I came out. So I had been out for like a year, probably, when I found this movie. Yeah. And no. dad just gave it to you and was like, here, have fun. Basically. <laughs> I remember Don't... I watched it by myself the first time. Having no context at all, having no warning, like nothing, like had no idea what the hell I was about to watch. I just knew it was weird as fuck. Like that. Was, and that was your first impression. It was just my, weird. Yeah, it was because like you could have I had a little bit of trouble following the plot the first time through. Like, it's I like, mean, <laughs> <laughs> I still have trouble following the plot. <laughs> it's a weird movie. It is admittedly. A weird show, but I will say my experience was probably pretty similar. You were the one who showed me the Rocky Horror Picture Show the first time. Um, and what's funny is I think it was only made worse by the fact that dad was dating D Donna at the time. And uh, Donna loved the Rocky Horror Picture Show. So every Halloween we would like as a family, watch the Rocky Horror Picture Show. <laughs> family viewing for all ages. I know. Well, because they always played it on VH1 every Halloween. They played the Rocky Horror Picture Show. And so we would turn it on. And I mean, they cut some stuff out. But um, I mean, we watched it. And Donna loved it. <laughs> our dad dated this woman named Donna. He's going to love the fact that I'm talking about this. Um, our dad dated this woman named Donna. And she was like kind of the wild child to his more kind of straight edge persona. And she loved this movie. And so it kind of just became like a family thing <laughs> to watch. This weird family tradition. Yeah, of like watching the Rocky Horror Picture <laughs> Show on Halloween. And honestly, I think that this movie is probably, at least in part, the reason I'm a drag queen today. I know it's the reason I started fucking around with makeup. I mean, Tim Curry in this movie is everything. I mean, like, Tim Curry in any movie is everything. But the, I was so in love with what he was in this movie that I, I bought a Ben Nye water like a water activated makeup set so that I could like do the makeup on myself in the bathroom. Dad used to yell at me. He used to yell <laughs> at me because I would get makeup on the towels and he would get mad at me to be like, you're not in Rocky horror. And he would like throw the towels down the stairs. <laughs> um, Meanwhile, that, it was all his fault. <laughs> 
It was all his fault. He had no one to blame but himself. He's the one who made us gay. I don't know why. He, I don't know why that's <laughs> even a question for him. Uh, yes. So Rocky Horror is absolutely the reason I became a drag queen. What do you think? Why do you think Rocky Horror has had a lasting effect on you as a person? I do think that it has. I think if nothing else, like it's given me an appreciation for kind of weird and wonderful things that on the outside are maybe not the best film that's ever been made. Like, <laughs> like what? Like, I feel very much the same way about like Little Shop of Horrors. Oh, I feel a little bit differently about Little Shop because Little Shop is meant to be a parody in a way. Yeah, but I feel like it's still in that kind of like weird kind of B-movie musical that I love. Yeah, I, it's kind of, I mean, the thing about Little Shop is it's a little more put on, whereas this was yeah, just no, fucking they're, weird. Yeah, no, they're trying harder, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, and I, I, not in a bad way. Like it was, it's kind of the way um, Reefer Madness was, where it's like, it's kind of a send up of this style yeah. of film and and a parody of these things that were culturally, you know, relevant and it's very smart and it's very entertaining, but Rocky Horror was just kind of, God, I never have gastrointestinal problems until we press record. Um, <laughs> I, Rocky Horror was just kind of like this weird twisted brain, like brainchild of, of Richard O'Brien that who knows where the fuck it came from. <laughs> I think there I was think, a lot of acid involved. I mean, clearly there was a lot of drugs. And if I'm not mistaken, I, I don't know if this is true. I believe Richard O'Brien has has come out as transgender since then. Has he? I wasn't. I had I had read something about that. it. I don't know. It's all kind of uh it's all kind of hard to put together. But I, you know, clearly he had a lot of feelings about um sexuality and fluidity and uh all of the things that are a part of rocky horror and I, it just made me fall in love with this kind of alternative culture it it really brought it's what brought me into things like all the drag queens i have known and loved and Hed, Hedwig and the Angry Inch and uh, just like all of that kind of uh, like John Waters. I got into John Waters because of Rocky Horror and it was it's kind of this like gateway drug. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> it's the family friendly version. The It's like it's like the Disney version of uh, John Waters. <laughs> <laughs> Complete with meatloaf. Everyone deserves a good dinner. <laughs> <laughs> I love that meme. I think I sent it to you for your birthday where it's like, uh, happy birthday. I made your favorite meatloaf. And it's just uh, Frank sitting yeah. at the table with the birthday hat on eating, <laughs> eating meatloaf, <laughs> literally. <laughs> um, so this movie was not a hit when it came out. No. It was not uh it was not by any means a hit, but it grew into a hit because 
of the audience participation aspect of this movie. <laughs> and that is a big part of why people love it. And it it became this cult hit because the audience started interacting with the movie. And there's a rumor, again, I don't know if this is true, that um, Mark Shaman was the one who started the whole thing. He was the one who started yelling back at the screen and people started doing it. And so it became... <laughs> It became like a thing that when you went to see the movie, the audience would participate. There are actually now, there's a, a full-on script of callbacks. Like there are standard callbacks in this in this script. Um, and it is something that I think as a fan of the movie, anyone gets to know. Yeah, no, everyone has their favorite, their favorite callback, their favorite moment that they love to do. I just think that like so much of the fun of this movie is that it's it's again, it's a big party. It's an hour and a half party and you're actually you're participating and you're part of it the entire time. Yeah, you're not like you're you are not in any way uh, a bipartisan person in, in the taking <laughs> of this movie. You are actively involved. Yes. And like even when we went to see because um, we went to see the Rock the Rocky Horror Show on Broadway. Mm -hmm. The 2001 <clears throat> revival. Yeah. And listening to people call back the movie callbacks to the actors on stage <laughs> was just the best thing ever because occasionally the actors would play back. They did. And I liked that they did because they knew what was going to happen. So they they had planned for it. And it's like it becomes this kind of game. And that was the fun part about it. It's like. It's a different kind of theater now. It's a different kind of movie now where like it's created this whole subgenre of how we participate with the media. The only acceptable time to talk in the movie theater is for Rocky Horror. Is for Rocky Horror. Absolutely. A hundred percent hands down. I remember I went to see a production of the Rocky Horror show at Kane University when I was much younger. And during the show, we were like doing the callbacks and no one else in the theater was. And I don't think they understood that it was like a thing. That's disappointing. And I was like, I remember being very disappointed. We got like all dressed up. We were doing the callbacks and like the actors clearly were enjoying it. But the audience was like obviously kind of bothered by it. And I was <laughs> like, do you know what you're watching? Like, have you, <laughs> do you know what this is? <laughs> <laughs> I just remember thinking like, wow. Just you... a bunch of people watching this like they went to see Hamlet. I know. Like, this is not Masterpiece <laughs> Theater, guys. This is this is not even close. Like, not even in the same arena. Um, but I think that's what I love about this movie is that it kind of breaks all of the... It breaks all of the kind of rules. It, it breaks the rules about movie watching. It breaks the rules about sexuality. It breaks the rules about gender. It breaks all of the rules. And it bre even breaks the rules about like what a musical is supposed to be. Because up until this point, I mean, you'd had musicals like the Who's Tommy. And I mean, you had had hair and Godspell, but they weren't like hair is like just by the skin of its teeth, a rock musical. You know what I mean? Yeah. So uh, this was really one of the first like 
absolutely rock musicals. I <laughs> I agree. Um, so, <laughs> no, the music is actually really good. The music is one of my favorite parts of the of the movie, specifically um, the fact that again, bringing it back to audience participation. I think we can't really go too much further without talking about the time warp. I mean, the time warp is first of all, it is like a standard staple on anyone's Halloween playlist. It just is like if you don't have the time warp, it's not a Halloween playlist. It's like all I want for Christmas is you, except for Halloween. <laughs> except far less irritating. Um, <laughs> it is. And and everyone knows how to do the time warp. It well, is like, they do make it easy for you. But that's what I'm saying. You, <laughs> there's, there's no confusion. It's like... Uh, it's like the scarn in the office, although I know you don't watch the office. Um, ever like you, it's like you tie, you get some string, you tie it in a knot, then until you do the scarn. And it's like it, it, that. It's literally the song tells you how to do the dance, and that's the most perfect part about it. Um, I, I also love. Let's let's back up before we jump too far into the music. Okay. Let's start with the cast. Sure. So. We have, uh, let's start with our two, our hero and our, our heroine. Our intrepid heroes, yes. Yes. We have Barry Bostwick as Brad Majors. Asshole. And we have, the asshole. <laughs> and we have Susan Sarandon as Janet Weiss. Slut. Slut. <laughs> and uh, they, do they get engaged in the beginning of the movie? Yes, Or do they, they just engaged. say they're in love? They get engaged. Now, I'm going to. I'm going to drop some ring. facts on you. That's nicer, she does. That's nicer, it's, than, it's Betty nicer than Betty Monroe had. And speaking of Betty Monroe, I'm going to drop some knowledge that's going to blow your fucking mind. Have you ever watched Love It or List It? Yeah. You know the, the female designer? Her name is Hilary Farr. Yeah, I love her. She's great. She's amazing. She plays Betty Monroe in the movie. You're fucking shitting me. I'm really not. <laughs> Look That's it up. Betty Monroe? Look it up. That's Betty Monroe. It's Hillary Farr. And I I remember I, basically when quarantine started, I learned this a couple months ago. When quarantine started, uh, I was watching, I was like binge watching Love It or List It because I, I had nothing else to do. So I was like eating chicken nuggets and watching Love It or List It. And I... <laughs> I my what am I am admittedly very into like behind the scenes stuff. I'll I'll always like if I watch a movie and I really like it, I'll go to IMDb and I'll look through the like trivia because I like to learn things. And so I was watching Love It or List It and I went to IMDb and I was looking through the trivia and it said Hillary Farr uh oh, oh no. I looked up an article based on a piece of trivia I saw on IMDb and it was like how how Hillary Farr came to play Betty Monroe in the 1975 cult classic, the Rocky Horror Picture Show. And I was like, what? <laughs> and I clicked on it and it turns out that basically um, when she was a, she, when she was younger, uh, her family lived above Tim Curry, like their flat was above his. And so they were friends with him. And when the movie was made, he knew that Hillary was like breaking out into wanting to be an actor. So he got her a non-speaking part in this movie he was doing called the Rocky Horror Picture Show. And it was Betty Monroe. <laughs> Isn't that fucking nuts? That is nuts. That's 
I'm never going to be able to look at her the same way again. It's bizarre because now I'll like, I'll go on IMDb. And if you go to IMDb and you search the Rocky Horror Picture Show, if you go through the cast, she's like one of the first people who comes up. It's like the main cast. And then it's like Hillary Farr. And I was like, <laughs> what? <laughs> and it's, and now you look at her and you're like, oh my God, like that's Hillary Farr. But up until that point, I was like, what in the fuck? I, I just was like, I, I did not see that coming. Cause I, I, I can't even imagine. I wonder if she, I wonder if she gets royalties. I don't know. I can't imagine she does. Probably speaking part. But, uh, so we have Barry Boswick as Brad. We have Susan Sarandon as Janet. And then we start to get into the, the weirder people. Um, we get, we have the criminologist. (laughs) (laughs) The criminologist is very famously played by Charles Gray and, uh, is very lovingly made fun of for not having a neck. (laughs) (laughs) And I can relate to that. I also have no neck or maybe too much neck. I guess it depends on how you look at it. I suppose. I have quite a bit of neck. Um, And then beyond that, I mean, Brad and Janet are basically the only two normal people, quote unquote, normal people in uh, this entire movie. That said, we move on into the Transylvanians. <laughs> uh, obviously, we have the most famous Transylvanian. We have uh, Frankenfurter, played by Tim Curry. <laughs> and this is the movie that made him a star. After yes, this, he, he, he went on to do Amadeus, and he went on to do, uh, obviously have a huge uh, film and stage career, and the Rocky Horror Show is the show that brought him to the, to America. He came to America with the show. He went to the L.A. cast and he did it at the Roxy. And then he went to Broadway and did it there. And then he was in the movie. And it was uh, it was the start of his whole career. Um, we have Richard O'Brien as Riff Raff, the butler. <laughs> <laughs> and... Riff Raff is probably one of my favorite characters in the whole movie. I think he's your favorite character, no? Yes, he is. Riff Raff has always been my favorite. Why? I honestly couldn't tell you. Like, I I really wish that I had, like, a really good answer for this planned out, but I don't. I think it's just, he's just so... He's just so creepy. He is very creepy. He's probably the creepiest part of the whole movie, if I'm being honest. Yeah, I mean, he looks like he's about to fall over dead. (laughs) and that's in or out of makeup honestly (laughs) um we have the amazing patricia quinn as magenta um who is like delightfully kooky (laughs) she is just like she's like a cuckoo clock that like someone turned all the gears inside out. That's how I imagine. That's how I would describe Magenta. She's just like she has that big devious smile and those like yeah. those like kind of bedroom eyes. And it's like she just is perfect. Patricia Quinn is perfect. I'm a little sad that she didn't get to sing science uh, fiction. Science fiction. Yeah. And the whole thing is that that movie or that that movie, that song was originally sung by the Usherettes in the stage show and she was the Usherette who sang the song. Um 
And then when it became a movie, Richard O'Brien <laughs> took the song and sang it and she got very upset. But they said the way they made it up to her is they let her be the lips that uh, <laughs> that sang the song. Um, and she did a wonderful job. She is iconic now for her lips. I mean, let that there is be like, lips. let there be lips. <laughs> That's one of the callback lines. Um, that is probably one of the most iconic images from this movie. It is the iconic image from this movie. If nothing else, like the poster where it's just it's all black and it's just the lips in the middle the lips. of it. Yeah. And in some of them, Frank is sitting on them. Yeah, which I do. Which I think love. is fun. <laughs> <laughs> like a chaise. I know. <laughs> chaise magenta. Um, we have Nell Campbell as Columbia, who is also really wonderful. Kind of like the ditzy friend everyone has, but she's like, you love her because she's funny, but she doesn't know why she's funny. <laughs> that's that's kind of that's kind of what Columbia is like. The Alyssa Edwards of this mansion. <laughs> that, is, that is frighteningly accurate. Right? Don't you think? And I hadn't thought of it until just now, but that really is what she's like. She's funny, but she doesn't know why. And everybody else does. <laughs> <laughs> that girls. Um, and then we have Jonathan Adams as the one and only Dr. Scott. Um, although he is not a Transylvanian. He is... Uh, he is Apparently the, how is he, they, he's their professor. He's their professor. And I guess they're psychology students. Janet, I guess. And, you know, I never thought about this. Are, <laughs> are Brad and Janet psychology students? It's unclear. What kind of a doctor is he? I don't know that they ever actually say. I, it sounds like he's a psychologist because a lot of the time he'll, uh, the way he says things, it, it always feels very like clinical, but uh, psychological. Does that make sense? Yeah. I no, don't know. I, I think it does. Yes. Um, we have, I guess I would consider him a Transylvanian, although he's more like a creation. We have uh, <laughs> Peter Hinwood as Rocky. The titular. Oh, Rocky. The titular Rocky. <laughs> um and he is quite titular. He does have rather large breasts. Um, and I love him. We have Meatloaf as Eddie. Uh, and Meatloaf, if I remember correctly, was kind of a shocking addition to the cast because this was kind of around the Jim Steinman era when Meatloaf was coming to his own and he was just becoming famous for Bad Out of Hell and, and all of that fun stuff. Fun stuff. I was thinking Paradise by the Dashboard Lights and uh, saying stuff, and it came out as Stife. Um, that song is about as long as this movie is. It feels like it some days. It really, really does. <laughs> it's like a 12-minute song. It's quite long, but I will say I really enjoy listening to Leah Delaria sing it. <laughs> <laughs> Paradise by the Dashboard Light? Oh, no, I meant... Um, I meant uh, Hot patootie. Oh, okay. Um, and then the final. Uh, oh no, that's it. That's it. That's all of our. That's all of our main cast. Um, the only other person I'm going to give an honorable mention to is Fran Fullenwider. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> one of the best tra- name. It's the best name. And it's clearly a stage name of this like probably very weird person. Um, I, at least I hope it is. I, I can't imagine that that's, uh, that that's a family name. That one of the Transylvanians is this kind of short, stout little lady named Fran Fullenwider. And I remember when we discovered her name in the credits and we were like, oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) It was like we had discovered Atlantis. We were like, we have found we have found the Holy Grail. (laughs) And it is Fran Fullenwider. I'm kind of surprised that there's no drag queen that's named Fran Fullenwider. There should be, you know, maybe it's not too late to change my name. (laughs) (laughs) Although I can't imagine anyone calling me Fran all the time. I feel like that would be. You'd have to do a lot of like the nanny bits. I know. And I'm just, I I love the nanny. Don't get me wrong, but I can't, I can't be tied down. (laughs) (laughs) I can't be tied down to the nanny. Only Mr. Sheffield can. But um, But I'm Jim. Um, Yes, so that is our main cast. We have all of those people and Fran Fullenwider. And they made the best movie ever made. (laughs) Between 1975 and 1976. The beauty of this movie, to me, kind of lies in the fact that it's all of my favorite things. It is a musical and it's... Uh, kind of weird. It's like, it's like what John Waters' Hairspray would have been in the 70s if it had been a musical. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think so. Why do you think that this movie is one of your favorite things? I think because it's just so much fun. Like, it's just, it's just a big bowl of fun soup (laughs) to steal from Kathy and Jimmy. But it's, the callbacks are so much fun. The audience participation is so much fun. Like, and it really feels like for a couple minutes that you're this part of this, like, really weird little group that nobody else really knows about. Because mm. when you're sitting in a theater and you're doing the callbacks and you're shooting your little water pistol or you're like holding up your newspaper, everybody in that room <laughs> or throwing is throwing your rice. Yeah, everybody in that room is an idiot. Yeah, and you get to, <laughs> and you get to be an idiot with them. And for some reason, it's just it's one of the best feelings in the world. You get to give yourself over to absolute pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> but that's kind of what it is. It it really allows you to break down all of your inhibitions and you can go in there and you can just be as crazy as you want and you can walk back out and you can go back to your normal life. But for the hour and a half that you're in that movie theater, you can just be whatever the fuck you want. And it's wonderful. Mostly an idiot. And (laughs) there really isn't very much that you can do wrong. Not really. I mean... Especially considering that, like, every theater has its own set of callbacks in addition to sort of the standard ones. Mm-hmm. Like, and they're always happy to have a new one if you can come up with something particularly clever. Mm. Have you, ha- you have seen it in the theater? Yes, I have. Did you go to Home of Happiness? Yes. What was your experience like? Um, I lied. I did not tell <laughs> anyone that I was a virgin. Um, because I was not having that. A virgin, for those of you who don't know, is 
someone who has never seen the movie in the movie theater before at like a shadow cast or a, a, a one of these particular showings. Yes, in this instance, the virgins had to eat whipped cream off of one of the cast members' chests, and I'm really glad that I lied. <laughs> I, was it someone you weren't particularly attracted to? No, no, it wasn't that. It was just that. That's that's a lot of pressure. Pressure. It's I don't. Just I don't like cream. being the center of attention. <laughs> <laughs> so it's good that we started a podcast. Yeah. Um. I remember my first time I went, I did say I was a virgin and I did have to eat whipped cream off of someone. Um, but I have never been afraid of being the center of attention. It's not something that really bothers me. In my private life, sometimes I can be that way, depending on my mood. But generally speaking, I don't, I don't mind it. I mean, you are a drag queen. That's something to be expected. You'd be surprised how many drag queens are introverts. And I I do consider myself to be a bit introspective when I'm not on stage. But when I'm on stage and I anytime I'm on stage or I'm in front of people, I I kind of go into this alternate reality, if that makes sense. <laughs> I uh it's like, oh, this is not real. So I can do whatever I want. And uh it's it's a very interesting way of of getting through stage fright because stage fright can be quite um debilitating but for me i just kind of say to myself okay well none of this is real and i just walk out on stage and i do it <laughs> i really wish i could do that it's kind of a switch you have to learn to flip in your brain and once you do it's very effective but um it's learning how to flip that switch that can be hard i can see that i've have no idea where that switches on me. I think it's somewhere, it's on the schematic someplace, but I have no idea. You do know, though, because you have been on stage and you have enjoyed being on stage. I was terrified the whole time. It's okay to be terrified. Ter fear is what drives you to be better. If I honestly insist. believe that. On stage, fear is a, a great motivator. It really does keep you on your toes and it keeps you from fucking up because if you're not afraid, you let your guard down. And I think that um, some of the worst performances I've ever given were ones where I just did not care and I, I wasn't afraid. And so I just went out and did a terrible job. Um, that said, you have to kind of learn to enjoy the fear. <laughs> <laughs> and that's kind of what this movie is all about. Is it? I think so. Because, I mean, I mean, in in the movie, they're talking more about sexuality. But it's kind of that idea of like, well, what could go wrong? Just do it. And it's, it's like, Nike? I, I mean, kind of. It's just give yourself over. Like, just allow it to happen and do what it is that you want to do and kind of figure it out later. And that's that's what don't dream it be it kind of is for me it's like <clears throat> you can sit here and say oh i'd like to do this thing i i would love to be this thing but it doesn't get you anywhere you have to you have to at some point just say okay well i'm going to do it and whether it goes or doesn't go whether it has wheels or i or i scrape along the ground i'm going to do it i never realized that there was this much philosophy involved in this movie for you 
I mean, it's kind of subconscious, I think. I think that it resonates with people uh, in different ways. But I, th- I think that's definitely what it was for me because when I found this movie, it was, I was obviously very young. I was like 13. And I knew even at that age, not only that I was gay, but that I wanted to be a performer for the rest of my life. And that was scary because there were so many people telling me I couldn't do it and that it wouldn't work and that I I was setting myself up for failure and that it was going to be terrible. And then there was this movie that was like, well, don't dream it, be it. Don't just live this life in your head, live it out loud and live it proudly. And I was like, all right, well, if if that's the way it has to be, then that's what I'm going to do. And that's kind of what gave me the strength to pursue the things that seemed so distant and so far away. You know what I mean? That's very nice, actually. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's like the only like sweet, sweet response to Rocky Horror I think I've ever heard. I don't think so. I think there are a lot of sweet responses to Rocky Horror in, in a very strange way. It's, it's like being part of a, it's like being part of the Adams family, to be honest. It's like, yeah, it's fucked up and weird, but it's our family. So it's like, <laughs> that's what we love. That's, that's what we are. And, uh, I, I happen to feel very strongly about that kind of, uh, that kind of message that has been delivered by Rocky Horror of like, don't dream it, be it, go out and do it. And it doesn't matter what people think of it because it's yours. Again, just, (laughs) I don't know. I was sitting here going like, woo, I get to be an idiot for an hour and a half. And you're like (laughs) over here teaching a philosophy class. I love it. (laughs) I'm kind of surprised that it didn't have the same impact on you, especially as a young queer person, because it seemed so taboo then. And this movie was like, well, nothing's taboo. I think I'm someone who has always had a healthy, occasionally unhealthy respect for taboo. So what do you mean? Like, I don't see myself in Frank. I see myself in in Brad and Janet. So Mm. it's a very different movie. Yeah, and I guess it's suppose I suppose it depends on how you interpret the end of the movie, and it also depends on whether or not they leave in superheroes. <laughs> yeah, um, I think that the idea is that as terrible as this situation was to have been for them, it kind of opened their eyes a little bit to a side of the world they were not previously aware of, or that they were ignorant of. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, no, like, it's definitely, it's not that I'm sitting here going like, oh, this is this terrible traumatic experience. It's more that I'm someone who, like, does not want to lose my inhibitions most (laughs) of the time. Why? I don't know. I'm just uptight. I think you're afraid of what will happen. I mean, that's entirely possible, but... The fact of the matter is, is that that's one of the reasons I do like going to see this movie so much is because it's one of the few times where I do let down my guard. Hmm. But. We should do a watch along of the Rocky Horror Show. We should, we should, we'll do it on our Facebook. We'll just do like a a live watch along of the Rocky Horror Picture Show. (laughs) 
I wonder if we can get away with that. I wonder if we would be Probably breaking any copyright not. laws. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and say not. Um, huh. All right. Well, let's jump back into this movie a bit because we've skipped over quite a bit. Do you have, um, do you have a favorite scene in this movie? I think it's actually when, when Rocky is born. born. We'll say born. <laughs> I just, I, I love all the weird, like, science fiction-y, like, equipment shit. And I love Frank mm. walking around in that fucking teal lab coat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that has a pink triangle on it. Yeah. And, yeah. like, like I, I don't know why. It's just, I or think is it's... is it orange? Is it pink or is it orange? I think it's pink. God, I can't remember anymore. I believe it is a teal lab coat with a pink triangle on it. Huh. But just the fact that it's a callback to Frankenstein, the fact that it's it's the part of the movie where it's the clearest that this is Richard O'Brien's kind of loving send up to be horror and be sci-fi. Yeah. And it is very clearly him loving those things and and writing a love letter to them. With a lot of sex. With a lot of sex, yes. It's a very dirty letter. <laughs> it's a <laughs> the filthiest, dirtiest letter. <laughs> it's it's uh, D. I think if that's the letter we're picking, it's D. <laughs> <laughs> so to speak. Um, what is your favorite scene? It's very hard for me to say. Um, I believe it's either... I don't know. It, mm, it's one of three. Okay. It is either sweet transvestite. Clearly. <laughs> the dinner scene. The dinner scene is great. Is pro is one of my very favorites. Or the floor show. <laughs> because the floor show is kind of like the culmination of everything it, it is just brings everything to a big head and it's like oh this is what we've been waiting for we've been waiting for everyone to kind of like lose it and go crazy and that's absolutely what happens you just see everyone kind of fall apart in this moment and go kind of like <laughs> weird mannequin for a couple minutes where it's like they're like moving funny and like yeah it's weird mannequin and it's kind of like where you finally see them all just kind of drop all all of their inhibitions and they just go full force. And it's like nobody has any restraint anymore. And <sighs> we finally see Frank's plan kind of come to fruition. <laughs> um, do you have a favorite song from the movie? I think it's probably science fiction double feature. Hmm. I love the opening song. It's very, I mean, it has a lot of reference to classic horror and it has that kind of like old movie theater style to it. So I get why it would appeal to you. It's also some of my favorite callbacks are in that, are in that song. Like the whole fuck the back row, fuck the front row bit, like is hmm. one of my favorite things in the world. So Yeah, and I mean the first callback in the entire show is in that song. Yeah. The Michael Rennie well, first you have Let There Be Lips. Yes. Um, and then you have Michael Rennie was ill the day the earth stood still, but he told us where we stand. 
on our on feet. Our feet. <laughs> and it's like, that's where it all starts. And when you're the first time you go and see this in a theater, it's like, oh, this is different. <laughs> it all feels so new and weird. Um, I would say in the movie, my favorite song is The Floor Show. Okay. In the musical, my favorite song is Sweet Transvestite. Especially with the new orchestrations, the the 2000 cast uh, orchestrations. Okay. It just is very like, it makes it so like thrilling and fun. And uh, it's such a great moment when you finally see Frank. And it's like, <laughs> it's what we've all been waiting for. It's like the first time you see the, the shark in Jaws. It's like, ah, <laughs> there it is. <laughs> no more canisters. It's full on animatronic. <laughs> and fabulous one of my favorite things about the effect of this movie is the the fandom it has okay. really created a a strong culture and a lot of that has to do with when shadow casts came about i think a shadow cast is, for those of you who don't know, is when actors get up on stage in front of the movie while it's playing and they act out the movie and lip sync the movie in, to the audience. <laughs> so they, they do certain things, but they, they, it's kind of like the, the medium between the audience and the movie. So they take all the things from the callbacks and the, and the kind of fun cult cultural stuff and they interject it into the performance of the movie. And if you've never seen one, it is something you have to do before you die. <laughs> Seeing this movie in a theater is something that everybody should do at least once. I know that this is kind of a weird time to be advocating for that. I know because but... you can't go anywhere. Um, but there are videos of shadow casts online. I'm sure. That you can that go online and, and watch at least clips from them, if not the whole thing. But when you can go out to the movies again, uh, hopefully in the not so distant future, you should go see a shadow cast of the Rocky Horror Picture Show. I actually had the honor of being in a shadow cast when I was in college. Yes, I and remember. I'm... I actually I went to see you. Did you? Yeah, I was there. I don't remember this. I remember some people being there but that was like my first real friend group that I made in college and I'm still friends with some of like I played Brad and I'm still good friends with the girl who played Janet <laughs> well naturally I know and honestly I was very sad because I wanted desperately to be frank and I should have known that there was like there's always kind of the political hierarchy in any one of those small groups but um I would have been a great Frank, I think. <laughs> and at the time I was skinny enough to do it. Now I'm I'm probably too big to be Frank, but um or I shouldn't say too big to be Frank. I'm too big for me to feel comfortable being at that level of undress on stage. <laughs> I think is what it comes down to. Um and I had the time of my life doing the shadow cast, but I remember uh 
I remember my audition very vividly because the director was a girl who took it very seriously. She took it very, very seriously. Um, and I walked into my audition and the audition started with just like an interview. And I walked in, I sat down and we were sitting across a desk from each other. And she was like, okay, let's talk about Brad. She was like, uh, she was like, you know, you're alone in a castle. You can't find your fiance. You don't know what's going on. You're surrounded by these like crazy transvestite aliens. She was like, you feel alone. You feel depressed. She's like, what are you, what are you thinking? And I just went, you know, once in a while, she don't want to call you. <laughs> Speaking on the telephone. And she just, she was like, stop. She was like, that's all I need to hear. <laughs> <laughs> because that is a, a song that was cut from the movie. It's called Once in a While. Um, and it's in the stage show. But it, it, I, I think her name was Katie, Katie Kennedy. And she was just like, she was like, oh, this is someone who actually really loves this movie. Um, and I think that that made it very clear for her. <laughs> it does help when you're able to pull like little nuggets like that out. And especially for you and I, because you and I are the kind of people who hold on to nuggets like that forever. We, we love the In movies. In favor of love. algebra. What? I have nuggets. It, I have nuggets like that that are why I don't remember how to do algebra. Oh, exactly. Like there's no room in my brain for geometry because it's all inhabited by Clue and Rocky Horror. Like that's that's <laughs> why that's why I don't know anything. Because Tim Curry everything... is the reason we can't do math. <laughs> I should send him a fan letter to just be like, you're the reason I can't do math. Um, now, this movie is a very important queer movie. Yes. For a, a billion reasons. Do you... What, what is your interpretation of, of the queer standing of this film? Today? In any context. I mean, I feel like it's still... It still should be... I don't know how to phrase this. I want it to be the first queer movie that everybody sees because I feel like it's, it's like you were saying before, it's that you're allowed to be weird mm -hmm. movie. It's unapologetic. Yeah. It's completely unapologetic. It's not making excuses for anything that it is. It's just, it's, this is me. I'm weird. I'm wonderful. Fuck you. Yeah, basically. <laughs> and I feel like that's something that, Every little queerling should should hear just once. Mm -hmm. But I really don't know. I don't I don't know how. Especially like. The terminology in the movie is out of date. I've heard people say that it's transphobic. Like, I don't know what it's standing is anymore. You know, it's funny because that was something I was going to bring up myself is that. I've heard a lot of people in recent years kind of denounce Rocky Horror and it's it's mostly young queer people and I don't know how to explain to them why this movie 
is so important to queer people of our generation and earlier. And I, it's kind of a feeling that you can't describe to them because like, <laughs> it's the first time you saw someone like you on a movie yeah. screen. And it's like, it's different for them now because you have movies like Brokeback Mountain and Love, Simon and Will and Grace and, and th there's queer representation everywhere. But when we were younger, that was not a thing. No, not at all. Like it was not a thing. And it's not just that it's queer representation. It's queer representation where the queer people are in, at least in some ways, the heroes. I mean, Frank is certainly considered the villain of the movie, but all in all, the Transylvanians are not evil, but they are, um, <laughs> it's so You're hard to put it in words. You're never supposed to think that they're trying to hurt anybody. Like no, because... Frank does a lot of bad things, but he does them in an effort to kind of liberate Brad and Janet and to show them this world that he has created and to kind of try to recruit them into it, <laughs> which is the bad part. But um, the good part is that he does kind of leave them with this sexual liberation. And that's kind of what this movie is all about. It is all about sexual liberation and breaking down the inhibi inhibitions. So yes, Frank is the quote unquote bad guy, but he is not evil. And it's nice to see someone who is wild and campy and, and unapologetically themselves on screen in in you know in a cr in cross dress attire and all all that fun stuff and i also think that queer culture has shifted a lot where queer culture used to be so underground and so taboo that we kind of leaned into it we leaned into the weird and now we've in a lot of ways accomplished what the movement in the nineties was going for, which was that we're just like you thing. Yeah. And so when you have taboo queerness, it almost incites kind of a, a panic in young people, I think, because it, it makes them feel like it's queer people being portrayed poorly. I don't, I don't know. Maybe I'm just pontificating, but <clears throat> I mean, I think there's something to be said for the fact that, like, this is clearly a counterculture movie. Like, it's not, this isn't supposed to be, like, oh, this is the norm. It's, look at this, yeah. look at this crazy, wild, kind of out there thing. And I don't think that people necessarily get how formative it can be. Formative in what way? For the like, people watching it, you mean? Yeah. Oh, I see. Okay. Like, I mean, you've been talking about it kind of this entire time is the impact that this movie had on you. And mm -hmm. I don't think it's been a negative impact. So, I mean, my whole thing is there's something wrong with a movie when what it does is harmful. I don't see anything harmful in the Rocky Horror Picture Show. 
Yeah, and it's like you said, some of the some of the terminology is outdated, but even when you look at it, it's it's not that I don't know. Frank is a pansexual cisgender transvestite person or alien, yeah. I should say. We don't know what uh, what he is. We know he's an alien. Um and so I think a lot of I think a lot of the fear from young queer people is that this sheds a bad light on transgender people because it is confusing for straight people. But I think you kind of have to you kind of have to look at it from the lens of that like when people like when people of color say like it's not my responsibility to educate you, it's your responsibility to educate yourself. If that is the case, then it's not my it's not my responsibility to portray queer life in a way that is accessible to straight people. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, that makes sense. Because that is a part of our lives. P pansexuality is a part of our lives. Uh, gender non-binary is a part of our lives. Although I don't know if, if Frank qualifies as gender non-binary. Um, he's certainly gender non-conforming. He's non-conforming. Yeah. Um, I would say even gender fuck, honestly. Yeah. And that is something that I think is actually empowering to our community. Be and especially because there are so many straight people who enjoy this movie. Granted, I don't know if all of them enjoy it for the right reasons, but this has taken something that would otherwise have been completely taboo to people and made it something that they could cope with. And Frank is a sympathetic character, like even like even though he is a villain, like he has that great number at the end. I'm going home like mm -hmm. he is he is very clearly the star of this movie. Like it's yeah. not Brad and Janet. No, Brad and Janet are are B players. And you are supposed to sympathize with Frank. Mm -hmm. So there's something to be said for looking at a largely straight cisgendered audience and saying, I want you to identify with and feel empathy for this type of person within the context of this movie. Yeah. And that's kind of, that is what I love so much about Frank. He, he kind of, he breaks all the rules. It's not, it's not that he breaks the rules that we want him to break. He just breaks all of them. He breaks every single rule and he breaks his rules. <laughs> yeah. And that's kind of what I love about him. There is no holds barred. It's like whatever I want in this moment, I'm going to do it. And that is something that I think the queer movement has kind of lost in, in recent years is that idea that like, it's okay to stand outside the norm, even in our own culture we're all kind of expected to have the same feelings about everything. And uh, I'm not saying in terms of which people are acceptable or, or things like that. Like I'm not, I'm not advocating against anyone's, I'm not advocating against inclusivity. What I'm advocating for is the idea that like this kind of taboo queer culture could exist while another queer culture existed that was a little more mainstream. And it's like, you didn't have to be a part of both. You didn't have to like both. And now it's like, there's a very strong 
queer culture that you're either in or you're not. <laughs> That's and how it, it is feels to me. A little me assimilationist. Anyway. It is a little assimilationist. And sometimes it's frustrating because if I if I feel differently about a movie or a song or uh, a piece of art, it's like there's really no room for me to say, well, I feel differently about that. And I, I almost feel like I should have the right to say that because I have the lived experience of a queer person. But for some reason, we're just as quick to cancel ourselves as we are to cancel other people. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, that's just about it for Rocky Heart. We never went into this with the intention of going through a breakdown of Rocky Horror. We just wanted to talk about why we love it so much. Um, I'm going to pose one final question before, before we kind of start to wrap things up. Okay. Do you have a favorite callback? Uh, I can't choose. Oh no. <laughs> uh. It's a very difficult question. Come back to me. I, I don't. Oh, God. I can tell you mine and it's yeah, going go to be very offensive. <laughs> Do it, up. it is during the floor show when Frank comes out and he's going, whatever happened to Fay Ray, that delicate satin draped frame oh i know you know the line yes i do (laughs) as it clung to her thigh like a homesick abortion (laughs) how i started to cry well you'd cry too if you had a homesick abortion stuck to your leg (laughs) i just think it's one of the best callbacks in the whole fucking movie oh my goodness i I think I'm I'm going back to science fiction double feature. I think it's fuck the back row, fuck the front row. We fucked you first. We fucked you we harder. We fucked you harder. We made no, you it's... come. We made you bleed. I thought it was uh, fuck the front row, fuck the back row. We fucked you first. Oh, no, you're right. It is. We fucked you harder. We made you come. We made you bleed. Huh. Okay. It's just, it's the That's reason to one. always sit in the front or the back row whenever you go. I know. I know. Uh, I remember um, (laughs) when Steve Irwin died, they added one when um, uh, (laughs) when Riff Raff opens up the clock and there's the skeleton inside. And right before he opens it, uh, you were supposed to scream, has anyone seen Steve Irwin? And then the clock opens. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know where it came from. It was such a stupid callback, but that was that was definitely one of my favorites. Um, a yeah, lot no, of the some ones of these during, are bad. <laughs> yeah, and listen, this is for the people like me who have a dark, dark, dark sense of humor. Like that's kind of what I mean when in in past episodes we've talked a lot about how like there's a, a there's a much different culture now. Everyone uh, is much more. Um, What's the word I'm looking for? It's not overly sensitive because everyone has the right to be sensitive about the things they want to be sensitive about or that they need to be sensitive about. Um, But I think that this film came out in a time when 
the overall feeling in the queer community was kind of like, well, we're already the scum of the earth. Let's just have the darkest possible sense of humor. And so we could joke about literally anything. And that has kind of gone away quite a bit in recent years. But this movie is a nice reminder of that time for me, at least. That's fair. Um, I don't know. I I have to admit that there are a handful of the callbacks that even I will kind of go like, oh, oh holy shit. Like the one I brought up? <laughs> yes. But part of the fun of this movie is being confronted with things that make you uncomfortable. Yeah. That's kind of the point. Yeah. But that's why I like that style of humor, because it makes things that are uncomfortable accessible. And it's something I talk about a lot, but that kind of humor makes things that are dangerous seem a lot less dangerous. And that's why I like it. Yep. <laughs> I, I, I... <laughs> oh my God, it is so hot in this room. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the conversation. <laughs> it's got you steamy. All right, kids, that's it for Rocky Horror. If there's something we missed, and I guarantee you there is because there's a lot we we twirled around. Um, please let us know what it was. Write in, let us know, because we would love to hear it. Um, that's it for today. We have new episodes out next week, including uh, episode four of The Haunting of Hill House. So, uh, oh no, episode five. Nope, four. You were right. Uh until next time, stay spoopy and remember. So, come up to the lab and see what's on the slab. I see you shiver with anticipation. My Spooky Gay Family features music by Nate Walker, artwork by David Elon, and this episode contains clips from the Rocky Horror Picture Show, distributed by 20th Century Studios, 1975. Please subscribe on iTunes, leave us a nice message, and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Tumblr. My Spooky Gay Family is a product of Barbara Duel Productions. Barbara Duel.